All right, here we go. Pete Giuliano. Good morning. Good morning. It is Wednesday. Wednesday, 1 April 2020. This makes that solder smoke 220. 220. Crank it in, Ralph. Crank it in. Crank it in. Crank it in. There's a certain symmetry there. 220 and 2020. All right, here we go. This is part of our effort to have more frequent solder smokes. And uh, we're very happy to do this one. And we have a lot of time to do these things now, Pete. Yes. Because like everyone else, we are hunkered down. Yes. We are in the command bunker, as Dick Dillman put it. I put up a a picture of Dick looking stoic and steely-eyed down there with an HRO receiver behind him. It just evoked that that whole spirit of uh, the Blitz in World War II. So here we are, hunkered down. I know, I know you're doing your part. Yes. Yes, I am. I am. I, 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 I came up with the acronym. You know, we come up with a lot of acronyms around yes. here. Yes. SITS. 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 Yeah. Stay in the shack. SITS. Oh, That's what we can do. Geez, you mean I got to stay in the shack? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I was saying. With, with all the complaining that's going on, this is, this is sort of an emergency made for us because yes. most of us really want to be left in the shack yes. by ourselves yes. with our gear. Yes. Here we are. Anyway, we, it seems hey, to hey, be I working. Tell you, I've got to tell you a good one. I was getting a little underfoot, and, and my ex wife says, why don't you go to the radio shack? I said, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there you go. you got to do it. Duty calls, yeah, man. Okay. It's my patriotic, patriotic duty. Duty. But hey, yeah, continue the continue the good work. Flatten the curve. It does appear to be working, and you know, I, I we don't want to get too somber here because the whole purpose of this is to take people's minds off the uh, terrible events outside our shacks. But this is serious business. It's getting to the point where, you know, we're starting to get reports of people we know who have been, you know, taken by by the disease. We have a lot of friends in Spain and and Italy, so of course that makes it much more immediate for us. Also in the Dominican Republic, my wife's country, it's it's tearing through through that country and uh, we've uh, Elisa knows people who have who have uh, been killed by it there. And when you talk to people friends in Italy, it's it's especially sobering. I mean, people there are are genuinely terrified by what's going on around them in northern Italy and with good reason. It even it even reaches into to ham radio. You know, I was listening to the the old military radio net on AM, and one of the participants I won't I won't say who, but he he just announced on the net that he and his wife both are both have it, and they've they've been struggling with it, and it's it's nothing to be fooled around with. So uh, they're doing okay. They're gonna be they're gonna be fine. But uh, sit, stay in the shack. This is nothing to toy with. Yes. There we go. All right, life is sort of adapting a little bit here. It's kind of, it's very strange period. I know everybody's going through the same thing, but technology in some ways is coming to the rescue. My kids are are finishing up their uh, spring semester via online classes. They're both back here with us now, and uh, which is which is great. And uh, but they're not completely done with school. They they they've set up a regular schedule for themselves, and they they go into their rooms with their computers for several hours each day, and and schoolwork continues even though it's all comp- completely decentralized. We have also uh, begun. I've begun. I told you I, I was volunteering as a kind of an English teacher at uh, the community center here, and if, when the when the crisis hit, of course we had to stop. Uh, in-person classes, which was, you know, it was hard on everybody, hard on the students who were really dedicated to to improving 
learning English. And um, so we have figured out a way, and we're now we're now conducting the classes online, and uh, we're using. We're using a program, Pete, that you and I might want to explore here for the podcast further down the line. It's gotten a lot of attention at Zoom. Uh, I, I, I need to tell you a story. Are you, you, are you a Zoomer? I need to tell you a story. My, my, my wife has a medical appointment on April 7th. So mm-hmm. I called the doctor's office and I said, uh, what are we going to do? She said, download Zoom. We'll call you. We got your credit card. The prescriptions are already sent by email, so we'll hold the appointment on Tuesday using Zoom. No, it, it's it's boom. amazing. It's it's boom boom with Zoom. Zoom. Yeah. Have you have you done it? You haven't done it yet. Uh, I I have it installed, and then uh, matter of fact, I got to call him today because I thought better of it, and I'm going. I've already got it downloaded on my phone. So yeah, most of most of the most of the people that we're working with don't don't have computers. All they have is the phone. Yeah, and they got a phone version. And it works fine. Yeah. It, it really works very well. And so we, we, we've got to take a look at that. Well, so anyway, a lot of ways to well, my, get a... Well, my number three son, the mechanical engineer, he's, uh-huh. he's working from home. And yeah. they have meetings with 60 people every day yeah. with Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> and he can no, see no, them it, all it, and everything. It's yeah. pretty fantastic. We, 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 we do that. We have the whole class there on the screen. The teachers and, all, and the students are all gathered around. And it, it works remarkably well. So... There are technological solutions, and we we have had the technology around us this whole time, Giuliano, and that's what we're going to talk about today. I thought we would start with a discussion of my bench and then do your bench, okay? just just because the sequence seems to work out pretty well. I've been talking a lot about my S38Es. I know know you're very enthusiastic about this. (laughs) That's almost in a class with coronavirus. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this it, it it kind of captures all of the technological differences that we have been discussing, it, 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 and and I I find myself every once in a while as I work on these things, sitting back and looking at it, shaking my head and said, once again, Pete Giuliano was right. <laughs> Why am I doing this? Yeah. But as I talked last time, the S thirty eight has S thirty eighty has its charms, but I'm kind of wrapping up the project there. I've almost completely finished everything I want to do on both of the S3080s. And the thing is, well, I noticed as I went through it, there was not a lot of information out there about how to work on these rigs, how to get them aligned. There's a lot of kind of ham radio urban legends out there. Some of them are right. Some of them are completely wrong. So I took some time, which I have in abundance these days, and wrote up a, a really long blog post sort of detailing my experiences with aligning, fixing the dial cord, installing isolation transformers, the whole bit. And I put it out there, and now it is out there on the Internet. So if five years from now some other poor guy comes along and says, you know, maybe I'll fix up that S3080 that I've had sitting in the basement since 1961, um, they'll they'll have something that'll help them out a little bit. It, it's been a learning experience for me, and I've come to kind of understand why they did certain things certain ways. The All American Five design. It's it, it you know if you're economizing and you're you're thinking about really mass production and you're thinking about what are these what do people who really only want to listen to their local radio station really need? It's it's very minimalist, and then they t- they took it of course and 
and and adapted it for use in the shortwave bands where things get a little bit different. But Pete, I got to tell you, the, the S38E has opened up kind of a, a new kind of old world of listening for me because I'm doing a lot of shortwave listening and I'm finding that the shortwave band that I like that is most useful by far is 39 meters. You know, most of us think in terms of the ham bands and that's it. We don't think much about what goes on beyond the ham bands, but in 39 meters, which is around what what, it's 9.4 to 9.9 megahertz. And there are lots of shortwave stations in there. Now, a lot of us were operating under the impression that, you know, shortwave radio, shortwave broadcast is over. You know, the Cold War is over. The Internet is here. Governments aren't spending money on shortwave broadcast transmitters. A lot of that is true. But then again, it's, it's almost like a new day has dawned because a lot of those commercial, a lot of those government stations have been replaced by commercial shortwave broadcasters. And they will put on the air whatever you want if it's like if you've got if you've got the cash they've got the trash you know, they'll 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 put it on so you get these stations and you find yourself thinking wow why are they playing this really crazy extremist stuff and you then the next the very next hour they've put on something that they've got really nice music playing my favorite station has become WRMI Radio Miami International out of Okeechobee, Florida. All right. And this station has really strong signals coming up the East Coast. And the the offerings, if you take a look at their website, it is extremely eclectic, diverse. I mean, they've got really some really out there kind of what I what I would consider really wacko stuff. And then they've got really nice programming. And in the afternoon, especially they seem to, to, to fill the time with a lot of kind of rock and roll music from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, which, as we know, was the, the high point of, of, of all human music. And it sounds good coming out of the S38. It's strange. This is the, I, know, I know you're cringing, but this is where having high-frequency hearing loss might actually be to your advantage because you don't realize how bad it might actually be sounding. But I have it hooked up. You might see over here. I can. You can see I have a speaker next. I have a speaker up on top of the, the S38. Makes it sound better. But I sit here sometimes. I put WRMI on, and I just listen. Now here's a trick for those of you who may tune into WRMI. You'll be sitting there, and they'll be you know playing some good old rock and roll music from the 1960s, and things are getting real mellow in the shack. And then all of a sudden, on the hour, they will switch. And this nut job, Brother Stare, Fire and Brimstone, End of the World comes on. And I mean, he is such a fire and brimstone. It's almost like flames start shooting out of the, the, the speaker. Uh, is that a religious like you, Rush Limbaugh? Oh, oh, yeah. No, there's a long story with Brother Stare. And I don't, <laughs> I mean, you could almost smell the sulfur when he is uh, doing his thing on, on 39 meters. But here's the, here's the trick. You might think, oh, man, I was just really liking WRMI's music. WRMI has two transmitters, at least two. One shoots up the, up the East Coast. One shoots a little bit further to the West. So all you have to do, they're both on 39 meters. And so you just tune a little bit off until you find the other one. And the other one is back on rock and roll music. So that's my trick to those of you who might want to listen to WRMI. But Pete, you know, 
this S38 business has gotten us into a bit of trouble. Ooh. And it's, it's, it's sort of related to the emergency. It is so weird. Let me just tell you about what's happening. You know, Google, we have Google ads on the Solder Smoke webpage. And one of the things you learn when you get into Google ads is that you're paid by the click. So when people click on an ad, you get a few cents. So some smart Alex figured that early on that they were going to put ads up on their page. And then they were going to click on the thing all day. And every time they clicked, you know, Google would send the money. Well, guess what? Google has some computer programs that will detect that kind of what they call click fraud, right? They'll detect if people are putting up ads for the purpose of basically ripping off Google and advertisers by, you know, making it look like more people are looking at the ads than really are. So they're very sensitive to that. They notice these things. Well, here with the crisis, a lot of the kind of the vigilance on this has moved more and more into the AI area. So there's not so much human beings kind of overseeing it anymore. A lot of these folks aren't going into work or they're working remotely. And it's been taken over more and more by the AI systems. So here's what happens. I talk about the S38. Some guys out there start looking for S38 information on the Internet. Ads start appearing on web pages because of this increased S38. Google's AI program traces it kind of back to me. Okay, this is true. I, I, I admit I've been stirring up interest in the S38, but I'm not doing it as clickbait. I'm not doing it to generate a whole lot of other clicks. If a human being looked at this, they would realize, hey, this is that crazy guy, Bill Mara, talking about this receiver from 1961. That's it. People are calling it up. No, but now they're connecting it. They're seeing a loop and they're detecting fraud. So I'm getting these fraud warning messages from Google. Wow. They're threatening to shut down the sites. Now, think about this. If they shut down the site, Blogspot, Blogspot is part of the Google empire. So this is actually putting in danger the Solder Smoke podcast. You're kidding. <laughs> it's, it's really wild. I've actually got a cease and desist order from these folks. Oh, my God. Yeah, and and I hope you know. And we have, I know we have some lawyers out there. I hope somebody will will take a look at this and see if there's anything we could do. I'm going to put the link up here, and when we when we put the the uh, the notes on on the Blogspot page, if it's still up. Yeah. But check it check it out. But it's 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 a strange kind of mixture of AI and the emergency and Google and and it all links back to my beloved S38e. Well, uh, the receiver that you love so much. Yeah, I, I'll tell you this. Uh, I've been looking at the ads on eBay. Yeah. For S thirty eight es. Yeah. The price is going up, Bill. You, get to, you <laughs> can get those things for you know twenty thirty bucks. Some guy wants four hundred dollars for one. <laughs> well, you know, what, this what have is, you I done, Bill? What have you done? I'm adding it to the portfolio, Pete. This is gonna. This is the uh, the solder smoke retirement 401k fund wow and we we invest exclusively in drake 2b's copies of solid state design for radio amateur wow, that's worth it and and now at the s38e e version we'll, we'll talk about the differences in versions a little bit but um anyway that's it's uh i'm glad to see the prices are rising but i, I if, if the google ai machine gets gets word of this they're going to accuse me of defrauding i don't know ebay ebay or something <laughs> jeez <laughs> 
Anyway, we we hope to be we hope to be able to continue the podcast. Please take a look at the, the cease and desist order and see if you have any ideas for us. Hey, but um, I'm just just wrapping up my portion of the bench report here. This all this uh, shortwave listening has caused me. I'm sitting here thinking, shortwave listening is fun, but of course it's more fun if you're using a homebrew receiver. Oh yeah. I mean, that's that's where it really gets fun. So I start looking around the shack, and of course, I find my eyes fall on the HRO dial receiver that I built Beautiful. a few years ago. Beautiful. My idea originally was to have this be both 40 meters and some of the shortwave bands, some of the adjacent shortwave bands. Um, but I never really got it to work right. You know, I, Pete, I discovered, to my surprise, that getting an AM detector, an envelope detector to operate properly was actually a bit more difficult than getting a product detector to operate. I had no problem with the product detector. I put an SBL1 in there. I hooked up the BFO to the BFO input. Boom, Bob's your uncle. Out comes single sideband. Sounds great. But every time I tried to put a detector in there that would allow me to listen to AM, I ran into problems. It would be highly distorted. It would be the, the the level would be too low. The level would be too high, and I, I I tried different kinds of detectors. I included. I even put in there at one point uh, what's known as an infinite impedance detector, which is basically a, a MPF one hundred two or a J three ten. You got that from you know, guy, some guy in Australia, right? Yeah, from 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 Paul VK three HN, who had great luck with it. I just didn't, and I was sitting there, and this is where. You know, we talk about this a lot, but when you have a technical problem, sometimes it's best just to put it aside and think about it a little bit. And I was thinking, and I said, no, wait a second. This thing works great with the SBL1. I throw the switch and the SBL1 goes into the circuit. It's fine. When I throw the switch to the diode detector or the infinite impedance detector or the AM detector, problems. And I said to myself, look, if you go to a diode, it's pretty simple what's happening. It's just cutting off the bottom half of the waveform and, in essence, mixing the carrier and the sidebands to get the audio out. But, but the only thing, and I said, that that's, that's so simple. I mean, the, the diode, it's a diode, and it, it's going to work. The problem, though, I thought, it must be the impedance that this, this detector is presenting to the preceding IF sta- stage or to the, the audio stage that follows. So I said, what I really have to do is just make that diode look like, look more like an SBL1, uh, which has two little transformers at either end of the diode ring, as you know better than anybody. So I said, okay, I'm going to try to do that. And the, the quickest way I could think was well, Which use is a, four- a lower impedance device. Right, right. It's a, the, 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 the diode ring is a lower impedance device, device yes. right? 50 yeah, ohms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I... I uh, what I did was I got a, I had in the shack Michael Rainey had sent me a while back some uh, IF transformers for 455. I noticed that a lot of the circuits in homebrew and commercial rigs that use diode detectors precede the diode with a 455 KC IF transformer. So I figured I would try that. So I hooked it up. I've got the circuit on the uh, on 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 the blog, and then I also noticed that most of them have the um, the, the diode feeding an RC filter, just a just a, a capacitance <clears> like a 0.01 picofarad, peak 0.01 microfarad cap, and uh, like a, a 10k or 5k resistor, and so one of the circuits had a, a 10k pot 
and with, with the output off the off the wiper, right? So that lets you set the volume coming out of the detector. I built this thing on a little piece of of a board from your CNC machine, right? And it took me about five minutes to build it, another five minutes to pop it in the circuit, and boom, works great. I mean, so that that was a simple solution. But you know what it got me thinking, Pete, and this is a, a project I want to throw in your direction, is I was thinking that wouldn't there be a way of taking that SBL1 and just by changing the input, say with a receipt with a with a with a with a relay, having a having you know two or three of the diodes in there, kind of short out the ground, and just use one or two of the diodes and use it as a, a diode detector. In other words, change it with the flip of a switch from a diode ring, <coughs> which is which is what you need for a product detector, to just a diode. I don't know if it's possible. I looked at it briefly, and then I thought. I'm going to ask Pete about this because Pete, you are the one, you are in experimental methods for RF design because of your inclusion of that pot across two of the terminals on an SBL1 that allows it to be adjustable as a balanced module. I, I bet if you unbalance it. Just unbalanced it, would it function as a diode? Yeah, because you're putting a carrier in there. I thought about that. Yeah, maybe just, just unbalance it, put a voltage. You could unbalance it with a voltage yes, on, on a couple of those yes. pins. That would be cool. That way I wouldn't have to do this whole thing. I would just be able to just put a voltage on it, and then it would function as... Well, what, what you do is put the pot in there, yeah. and you balance it for when you right. have a product detector. Then you have just a uh, like a 39-ohm resistor to either pin 5 or 6 on an SBL1, and what you do is put a voltage on there on AM. There you go. And then... That's what that's what I probably should have done, but that's a simpler way. Yeah, it's a of, pot of the going. resistor. Yeah, you got to yep. use hundred ohm pot. Use a hundred ohm pot. Hundred ohm pot. Put yeah. it right there. I remember you had a little one and you put it right up on top of the can. Yeah. So anyway, I, I that, that would be cool. I'm going to try that out. And I, this has gotten me of, of a mind now to make some more AM receivers. This is what Paul VK3HN he did. He built a, a receiver that was not. What I've been doing, what I started out with was an SSBCW receiver. Then I said, okay, let me put in a broader filter and an AM detector. And then I'll be able to get the not only the 40-meter band, but the 39-meter band, the 40-meter band, and then the 41-meter band. Up to about 7.5 megahertz, down to about 5.9 uh, megahertz. And do a lot of shortwave listening. But, you know... Some people point out that it's probably better just to say, okay, I'm going to build an AM receiver and not have the product detector or the BFO, not have to switch filters. Because every time you switch filters, you know, you run the risk of a little leakage around the filter. But the filters I'm using now are the uh, the 455KC ceramic. Uh, and I think they're from Murata. Mm -hmm. But I got one, um, uh, Bruce KK0S sent me one, and it's... Um, it's 10 KCs wide. Uh, I tried the 6 KC filter. It seemed a little bit restricting. You know, some of these AM signals, the AM broadcast signals, they're, they're 10 KCs wide. And they sound, they sound good, you know, because they're getting, they're getting audio up to at least 5 KCs, right? So uh, I went with the 10 KC filter, and I noticed a, a difference in audio quality. It made uh, WRMI uh, sound even better. So anyway, that's my... Um, my, uh, you've you've given me a good idea here now for um, if 
for the for for, for making that SBL one function as an AM detector. And of course, be, it wouldn't there wouldn't be any impedance issues either, because you still got the same transformers at either end. Yeah, there you go. Va bene, um, va bene, va bene. <laughs> and then uh, let's see. Um, one other note here, this, the short way of listening uh, craze that I've been involved in has caused me to pull off the shelf uh, a regen that I built back in 2014, and it was what I called the off-the-shelf uh, regen because I built it on a board from a shelf. And I, 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 I was pulling this thing down off the shelf thinking, well, I'll just use the board, maybe the variable cap that I have in there, maybe the audio amplifier, and I'll build some other kind of receiver but I found the thing completely intact and I hadn't messed with it at all. I took a little nine volt battery. I plugged the nine volt battery in this thing. I turned around the regen control and boom, 39 meters came up just fine. So that the radio gods have spoken. I did not disassemble this thing. This thing has earned uh, continued existence up on the shelf. So the, the regen is up there. That's and not the get, case in my shack. <laughs> it would be gone. It would be cannibalized. <laughs> well, if Pete, Pete, if you kept all the stuff you built, there'd be no room for you in the yeah, shack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, finally, one other project I've got going. It's this whole AM thing. Now, you know, the receiver that I love the most is the Drake 2B. It's sitting over there. I, I thought the one, there might be a competition with the S thirty eight. No, the S thirty no, no. This is a this is a fling. This is a this is a mere kind of. Oh, okay. Uh, no, no. The S the, the Drake two B has been with me since nineteen seventy four, so this is the the real deal. Um, but the one one of the one of the few criticisms that I have of the Drake two B is that it's way too narrow on on am i mean the widest setting that you can get is 3.6 kcs and it, i mean i it's just it's just too narrow so i was thinking there have been all kinds of mods over the years on how to modify a drake 2b to make it sound better if you're listening to am um most of them involve kind of scary internal surgery on 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 the receiver but here's my idea there's this Q multiplier port on the back. So this is a triple conversion receiver, right? The second IF is at 455. Take it right? out. Yeah, just take a tap just, it. Just, just tap it out and then run it to one of these AM detectors that I'm talking about. And then run it to a, a, an audio amplifier to bring it up. If I put one of these 10KC ceramic filters at 455 in there and just use the tap off the back, boom, Bob's your uncle, right? There you go. Hi-Fi AM. I'll be able to listen to those guys on, on 75. And, you know, you could even, you could even take the 2B with the, with the crystal accessory jack and put it on the shortwave bands. Oh, yeah. yeah. Shortwave broadcast. All right, so this is what I'm thinking about. That is kind of what's been going on in my hunker down stay in the shack shack sits sits yeah this is time for the shameless commerce division yes all right what we'll say is same thing we always say if you're going to buy something on amazon and i know some of you guys may be buying stuff on amazon um just do it through the the site in the upper right hand corner there of the uh of the of the uh, the soldersmoke.blogspot.com page and then cha-ching mr bezos will have to send us a little bit of money that'll help keep the podcast going simple easy and doesn't cost you anything cost bezos money yeah. so anyway 
Pete, what is on your bench? What are you working on? I, th- I see a lot of stuff. I watch your blog every day. Exciting stuff coming out of the, the, the laboratory of Newberry Park. Well, first of, let's not um, finish with the Shameless Commerce Division, okay? Okay. Uh, right. First of, some exciting news. We heard from Pete Eaton about uh, now Mauser is carrying the Mini Circuits Labs product line. Not not fully, but one in particular is the ADE-1 double balance mixer. I, I use, use those almost exclusively in the projects that I'm building. And the unit price is $6.32. If you buy it from Mini Circuits Lab here before when they were only selling direct, it was like $16 for one, but if you bought 20, they'd get down to like six bucks. So now you can buy just one unit, one unit from Mauser for $6.32. You don't have to do a quantity buy. If you buy 10, it gets down to $5.50. But now circle back to Shameless Commerce. If you go to Amazon, go to the Solder Smoke blog, upper right-hand corner, click on Amazon, and type in ADE1, you can buy the ADE1 that's on a circuit board with the three SMA connectors on it for about 12 bucks. We're going to be rich, Pete. We're going to be rich. <laughs> and, and I'm telling you, that, that <laughs> one of the problems with the ADE1 is how you mount that thing. You know, Especially now because a lot of these, these are surface mount parts, right? Yeah. Ah. So now this is on a little circuit board. It's got a couple holes in it so you can mount it off a chassis you know, on some standoffs. But it's got the three SMA connectors and they're even labeled so you don't get screwed up, on, which is the IF port and the LO port. Check it out. And that is a good deal because if you bought just the ADE1 at a really good price of $632, for just $6 more, you get it mounted with the connectors and everything all ready to go. As a matter of fact, they're offering three variants, uh, the ADE1, the ADE25 or something like that. And there are different frequency ranges. But the ADE1, I think for about a little less than 12 bucks, you get the whole circuit board. And all you got to do is screw the connectors on and you're in business. So, solder smoke blog, upper right-hand corner, click on Amazon, and get yourself some ADE1s. I mean, for 24 bucks, you get two complete, you know, circuits so you can have a product detector and, and or uh, a mixer circuit. So, really good. And you're, you're going to need a few of these around the shack if you're a radio builder. Yeah. You, so many times you find yourself thinking, wow, I need a mixer. What am I going to yeah. do there? You know? And now they've made it really easy. To, it's mounted on a small little tiny circuit board with the three SMA connectors. So, uh, get that via Amazon and use the solder smoke blog. All right. Excellent. Uh, very good. Okay. So, I continue to work on SDR radios. And uh, last time, last podcast, I mentioned I got out the Charlie Morris uh, board, and uh, I got that working. But uh, the way that the original project was, Charlie had it, was that you generated the uh, LO at four t- four times the frequency. So uh, the Teensy 3.5, you're operating on 7 megahertz, the LO was generated at 28. Then on his board, you ran it through a 74 AC 74 so that you can get the two phases, the quadrature phase, and yep. you can feed the two direct conversion mixers. So uh, Charlie has since advanced to developing the SI5351 using clock zero and clock one to develop the phased output. 
<clears throat> and he shared, this was a dream for a while remember yeah. we, we were we were talking yeah. about this as the impossible dream yeah quadrature direct from yeah. the si 5351 charlie shared some code with me and i couldn't get it to work it, it just it would not load right and then uh, ham down in vk land uh said here do this <laughs> and he gave me the code and it works so i now have uh charlie's zl2 ctm's board with the quadrature and uh, another project I'm taking on is I'd like to build a phasing transceiver not using a computer or the Teensy. So it's going to be kind of like a hardware hardware type phasing transceiver. And, of course, critical to that is having the phased output. So now I've got the phased output on the LO, and so we can proceed with that. You know what? Let me tell you one thing that I discovered with this that was a lot of fun. On the Rigol scope that you have and that I have, there's a way that you can have it measure the precise phase relationship between two signals. So when I was fooling around with this, I was using an AD9850. And then Paul Darlington, our friend Paul, had come up with conga kits, a, a, a board that would take the output and then yes. come up with two quadratures. Right. <clears throat> right. And, and I think it was, it was originally said they were doing like a times two multiplication which meant that I could, w with that board, I could only go up to about 10 megahertz. So then I got ambitious and tried to do it like, I found another way to do it like times four. And it worked and it gave me more frequency range. At this point, I don't think I was using Paul's board anymore, but I found that the phase difference was getting out of line. And it wasn't 90, it was more like 89 or 91. And that was really having a big effect on sideband suppression. But, but I, what I really remember was how cool it was to use the Rigol scope, yeah. put the two frequencies there, and have them tell me exactly what the figures. phase is. The just right? figures. Yep. 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 And then and it, you read out, okay, what's the phase difference? Yep. And you could see it. it and it was a, a dramatic difference. If it got close to 90, then the other sideband disappeared. Yeah. If it was a little bit off, you could hear it, yep. and that was annoying. But go ahead. So, so anyway, um, that that was a big step up to get that working. I've got it currently configured that way, and haven't had a lot of fun. And uh, it's interesting because the current configuration is I have the Teensy doing all the the signal processing, and an onboard Uno with another um, SI fifty three fifty one supplying uh, supplying the LO signal. So I'm looking at a transceiver that's going to have two displays on it. So one is just for the frequency and the other is for, for the teensy. So uh, the next step up would be to use the uh, color TFT and to actually display the spectrum. So lot, lots of fun things going on there. Now, my AD9833 board showed up. And wow. so uh, I got and our good friend Dwayne down in Riverdale, Georgia. Yep. Sent me a link. He said, "Go here." So I um, I loaded that onto a uh, an Uno with a colored TFT, and so I've I've got the software. I have not hooked it up to the uh, Bill. This board will fit on my thumb. <laughs> you, that's, I remember I saw an email from you saying it was so small. Yeah, that's the the board and the chip. Yeah, that's the whole board. The whole board. So this is fit on your. Somebody thumb. was talking about like gluing it on the back of yes. an Uno. Yes. Yes. A nano, gluing on the back a of a nano. nano. Yeah. Now the uh, the the thing with the software that'll get it get it working, but uh, essentially it's it's like a, a a frequency generator that starts off at zero, and so I need to 
modify the code so I'll put it only in one range. I only want it to run between 5 and 5.5 megahertz. So I got to mm -hmm. diddle with the code a little bit. I mean, but basically get it working. So uh, that that's in the queue. Uh, the other thing that I've been spending a lot of time with is our good friend Dean. Oh man, KK four <clears throat> DAS, yeah. my neighbor. Yeah, right down the road. Dean is building one of the transceivers that I documented on my on my website n6qw.com. This, this is the e easy SSB, simple or simple simple SSB, simple SSB. And uh, Dean is almost ninety percent there. He got the got the receiver working and. Uh, I think the last two stages that he have to, has to get working are the uh, transmit driver and the IRF 510. And so it looks like maybe this week he'll have it on the air. But uh, did, did you listen to the receiver test that he's, he's doing? I did. I did. And, you know, it was just, it was so exciting to watch Dean make this progress. Yeah. Because, you know, he's a, he's a kind of an, he's an IT guy who doesn't have a whole lot of experience with this kind of hardware but he's taken the right approach he started with the mate for the mighty midget and i actually heard him from across fairfax county virginia transmitting and i i put a recording up on the on the the youtube channel um then he's gone out and he's been picked up by the the remote beacon network all over the country mm -hmm. with the uh, with that then i think really the best advice that you gave him was to take a stage-by-stage -stage approach with the simple SSB, testing each stage as he went along. So in the course of building this rig, he was gathering the experience, like he'd build the audio amplifier. And then we'd hear from him, I built it, but it's not working. Then the, the, the troubleshooting would start. And then he would find a cold solder joint or something that wasn't you know, placed in there properly and get that fixed out. Each one of these is experience under the belt. And when he finally got that receiver going, that was an exciting moment. Yeah, the other thing, too, is he, he's got a really super scope that he bought, really nice scope. He's yeah. learning how to use that scope <laughs> as he goes along to make these various tests. Like, for instance, he was saying uh, he built a microphone amplifier. He says, how do I know this thing is working? I said, well, take one of your channels, put it on the input, <laughs> take the other channel on the output, and watch it. Yeah. There you go. So, Boom. so there. You know, you just say use you know, what you got. When he, when he, when he got the receiver going, he was so taken with it. He was listening to it, and then he kind of made this comment like, "Well, I feel bad because I'm spending so much time listening to the receiver. I'm not finishing up the rest of the yeah, rig." And I yeah. said, "No, no." I said, "That's fine." I said, "If you look at the the the, the original notes on Farhan's Bidex twenty, way back, we're going back fifteen years now." He uh, he said at one point when you got when you when you finished and we was, it was kind of rudimentary build instructions but when you got to the point where all the stages were there for the receiver to work he Farhan advised stop at this point sit back and enjoy the receiver that you have just built right because I mean I don't know about you but I think it's more fun to build the receivers than the transmitters the receivers just got this I mean you, you listen to it other people's voices are coming in. It's, I mean, the transmitters are great, too, but for me, it's always the receive side where the real, the magic comes in. Well, the, there was another piece to this, and I think uh, what, what was interesting is he got the receiver working, he said, you know, I'm listening real carefully, and I'm hearing some noise in there, and I'm hearing some static, and I'm hearing, you know, some hum, 
And uh, I mean, first there's the excitement that's working, and then you start to see the refinement. And uh, so I, I said, send me some pictures. Well, he had the receiver over here, and about three feet away, <laughs> he had the audio amplifier. It <laughs> <had> cords <laughs> laying all over the place. I said, uh, Dean, <laughs> shorten that distance up a little bit. <laughs> Dean, we're, we're not in IT land yeah. anymore. <laughs> ground, ground the two boards together, and then tell me what you hear. He said, oh, yeah, that worked. <laughs> well, I, I had a similar experience with, with, with one of his videos because he was showing how the receiver sounded on 40 meters. And I didn't hear the call sign, but I recognized the voice of the guy he was listening to. And it was John, K2YN, down in South Carolina, who I hear all the time on 40. I've spoken to him many times, very nice fella. And, uh, but I, I recognized the voice but it didn't sound quite like oh, John. Oh yeah, the BFO. Yeah. So it sounded weird, and I just I went I went, sent Dean a message saying, "Hey, look, I'm just doing this by ear, but I can tell that it one it's K2YN, and that he doesn't really sound that way. So you need to adjust the BFO, which he did. So they they think that's another good lesson. It's one of these things where you need to noodle a bit. You need to sit there. And draw out where do you think is the, the pass band for the filter that you've built, okay? Where do you think the signal that's coming in, where do you think the carrier would be, right? Because the carrier's been suppressed, but all the audio frequencies are rel relative to the suppressed carrier, right? Right. And then you got to figure out where does your BFO line up with that. And if it's not in the right spot, when you tune for maximum signal, it's going to sound Donald Duckish, right? So this is one of the big challenges of SSB all along. But anyway, it's, it's been great fun. I agree with you watching Dean. So what's yeah. ne what's next on the for him? Well, he he's working on the driver stage today. Now he finished up the uh, uh, bidirectional. I gave him a design for a bidirectional amp. It's the receiver RF amp, and yep. then when you it's got a couple steering relays on it, so it becomes a transmit pre driver. I said. If you feel confident enough, put a 52 ohm resistor on on that output, and I said you can start transmitting. And I said you, it, it might be good to do that just to check and see if everything is working. I have every confidence if the receiver's working, mm -hmm. then the transmitter should should work. That's the other beauty of this uh, bilateral design. So you know, if, if he's going to have a problem later, it's going to be in the driver stage or the final. I mean, if he so you look at the output in that scope, you see the Christmas tree pattern. That'll tell you you got everything working up to that point. And then if it doesn't work, you only have two stages you have to deal with the driver stage in the final. So I, I don't know what, what his plan is, but he's working. The, and he calls that the furlough 40. The furlough 40 because he's, he's, he's on furlough because of the, <clears throat> yeah. of the, the shutdown. Yeah. But um, yeah, exciting. yeah. I, it is exciting, but I, I, I think we have to, I know Dean will be listening, but um, we have to caution him that he's entering into an entirely new world of woe <laughs> once you get the transmitter going. Yeah. Especially if you've had kind of alfresco kind of long leads out there. The receiver will be actually a lot more forgiving in this area. But once you start pumping a watt or two of RF and it starts getting, and, and the outputs are going to the inputs, and the thing starts chasing its tail, all of a sudden all your amplifiers become oscillators, and 
thus begins the transmitter tale of all. This may be why I like receivers better, Pete. Well, it could be. And I was thinking about uh, when I first built the Bidex 20, yeah. 10, 12 years ago, there was something in Farhan's design that caused RF feedback, at least in my configuration. I had to put a separate relay in there, and that cured the problem. You know, and, and this was amazing because several of us discovered it independently. Yeah. And I remember you and me and somebody else, we all said, I can't, I can't get this thing to work right as long as this little piece of wire stays in the circuit. And the only way to make the thing work right is to put another relay up near the bandpass filter and so that when so that when it goes from um, it's really disconnected receive to transmit that there's not this little piece of wire hanging there because with that piece of wire hanging there on transmit An antenna it was allowing feedback Barkhausen's criteria yeah. were being a, met beta one equals one yeah. yeah there you go and so but but it was a fun it was a fun solution because I remember I put a relay in there just. Because I, it was like one of these troubleshooting things. You say, okay, why is this thing oscillating on transmit? Why is it taking off like this? And you poke around, and as soon as you take that little wire off, it stops oscillating. You think, okay, well, that's where the oscillation is coming from. But I need that little wire to be in there on receive because that's the wire that takes the signal from the bandpass filter down to the receiver input, all right? So you can't have it both ways, <laughs> Right, but you, what you can do is you can put a little relay in there so that when you do yep. the switch from relay to transmit, it takes that little piece of wire out of the circuit. Boom, fixed. All right. Yep. Um, that was fun. By the way, yesterday uh, I operated the WPX contest on forty meters. Did you win? No, no. But I operated with five watts. I, I did not have any afterburners on. I was running Charlie Morse's rig. And it's amazing how many 5.9 reports I got out of the Midwest. <laughs> You're 5.9. I said, yeah, right. <laughs> Don't let it go to your head, Pete, because everybody's 5.9. <laughs> I love it when they, in the contest where they say, you're 5'9", and then they have to if they ask for five repeats on the call sign. Yeah, I yeah, can barely hear yeah, you. 5'9". Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's a whole other story. Hey, you know, I got I got involved not in a contest, but with a special event station Ooh. yesterday or the day before. W4V. It was Dean. Oh. It was a special event station, and I, he, he sent me a note. He said, hey, I'm on the air on 40 meters with a special event station. The club had a call sign, and they were using it for kind of the, uh, you know, every the lockdown, the stay-at-home oh, thing. Oh, there you go. And so I gave him, I, I fired up my Digitia, got it fired up, and, uh, and, t and talked to him on 40 meters. So oh, it was fun. Oh, cool. Yeah, well, it wasn't as fun as when I heard the, the mate for the Mighty Midget. That was really cool. And it'll be a lot cooler when we get the simple SSB rig really going. But exciting stuff happened, and it's, and it's really fun to, to kind of talk somebody through this who is, is relatively new to it. You know, Pete, this is something I, I learned when we did our, our survey a couple of shows back about, you know, who who's listening to the podcast. I mean, one of the things I learned is that we have – a large number of relatively new hams who are interested in this stuff. So we'll be doing more of this kind of talk, like how you how you get a simple rig going, and the, the kind of the, the the kind of the, the difficulties, the trials and tribulations that everybody faces in making this happen. Because that is really such a fun part of the well, part of the hobby. Well, I, I'm gonna give myself a plug. 
the, the simple SSB uses 10 transistors. 10 transistors. And and 2N3904s, 2N3906, a 2N2219, and an IRF510. A $5 bill will buy all those transistors for that radio. $5 bill. You can build a simple SSB transceiver for a, just the active devices, $5. You know, I've stopped. I've stopped talking about that. I, I really should use that line again, because when I was running the BidX twenty uh, and the BidX seventeen, guys would ask about it, and I would I would say to them, you know, I, I would quote from Farhan's original webpage, and I think his objective was to have the whole thing to be constructed. I think for three hundred rupees, which at the time came to about five dollars. So I would say, you know, you could construct this entire transceiver in India for five bucks, you know, if you with a total expenditure. Now, this would really blow the minds of some of the guys who are running the, you know, FT6000DX Superduct, Super Deluxe Mega Rig, you know. That's the FTDX 101M for $4,500. There you go. And they're talking to somebody who's running a rig that you could have built for five bucks. Yeah, yeah. I think Dean I, is looking at around fifty dollars because he didn't have a big junk box. So with everything he's got in there, it's around fifty bucks. So that, that's that's kind of cool. Hey, well, before I forget, and this is not something on my bench, but uh, I, I want to circle back to coronavirus and what what this is doing. University of Florida. Guys have come up with a ventilator design using plastic pipe and sprinkler valves, mm-hmm. and they got a they got a working prototype. And a couple of hams on the on the Bidex reflector came up with an Arduino based control system that they're going to make with that. I know. And then MIT resurrected a project that it was a student project that they can build a ventilator for less than a hundred bucks, and they're going to release the design. And what they've done is taken one of these bags, you know, you've seen in the movies where they put the bag over the guy's mouth and they're riding down the, the cart there and they're squeezing the bag. Mm-hmm. They took that airbag and they, they built a, a motor-activated compression clamp so that the bag opens and closes, opens and closes. They can build a ventilator for 100 bucks, And yeah, they're going to release the plans for it. So if you want to build one, you can. Ah! This is driving innovation, Bill. Instead of a thirty thousand dollar machine, in a pinch you can come up with something for a hundred bucks. Just think how many of those you could crank out. Well, it's especially important, and this is where it it really becomes um, really really sad because you realize that in countries that are going to really be hit hard by the disease, there's there are no resources really for the vast majority of these people. And simple solutions like that could could really be a, a life or death thing for a lot of people. And I know a lot of folks are, are working on a lot of folks with hardware and software skills are, are making great great contributions. And uh, yeah, like you said, it's it, the Arduino and the ability to say, okay, uh, you know, pump air at this point, stop pumping air, let the air come out, pump air again, and sources of compressed air. Forget about sources of oxygen, because oxygen would be a luxury in most in the vast majority of the world. But anything that could sort of compress air, anything around, you know, vacuum cleaners. Bagpipes. 
Yeah, anything like this. So, so well, Dyson came up with one. He designed one in ten days, and he's got fifteen thousand units under construction in the UK. And I think Elon Musk is involved yeah. in it too now. Yep. So, three cheers for everybody who's doing this, and especially for the uh, the innovators who are able to do this at at less than fifty thousand bucks and less than a million lines of code. Yeah. You know? Well, so. the, the guy I got to take my hat off to is our friend Jeff Bezos. This guy, you can get stuff from him, food from him, and medications. I mean, <laughs> this guy's a genius. You know, well, I, we got we got worried here. My son kind of said, you know, you guys don't have enough food in the house. What happens if you can't get to the supermarket? So we went to Amazon and bought a, a big bag of rice and a big bag of beans. Yeah. And boom, it showed up a few days later on the front steps, and we're good to go. So... You know, we I, I, I talk bad about Bezos here, but really it's it's all in jest. It's just an amazing it is like you said, amazing service. Yeah, cool. Pete, we're getting we get we get mail. No, mail? We're, we're getting mail back. Boom, solder smoke mail back. There you go. Um we heard from an old friend, Jack, Alpha India Four, Sierra Victor. He used to be still is a member of the Vienna Wireless Society. That's here. a guy it's overseas, Cyprus He's or someplace. In, his like call that. sign now is five Bravo stroke Alpha India Four Sierra Victor. He recently sat down and took the exam, <clears throat> so he'll have a for real Cyprus call. But he's having a great time with ham radio there, within the limits imposed by the, the emergency. So he's gonna do satellite? He was doing satellites, he was doing remote um vhf stuff from hilltops in cyprus shooting Ooh. back up into into europe great stuff good to hear from you uh, jack we're glad to hear everything's going so well for you um heard from uh, we've got a lot of email from sweden we have listeners in sweden one of them is daniel sa7der delta echo radio he listens during his commute in sweden uh, we hear a lot from our, our good friend Peter, VK2EMU. He's the Ooh. guy who gave me the really cool key. Yes. The keep on solder smoking key. Uh, and and he is uh, building a six-meter tube-type amplifier. Nice. Beautiful stuff. Makes me want to get some chassis punches. Well, he's got a chassis punch that, man, this is amazing. It's big enough to cut out a hole for a two and a half inch meter. <laughs> I mean, that's it's, a chest, it's, that's it's, a serious Jesse punch. <laughs> it is really amazing stuff. It's beautiful work, and it you know the tubes are there. It's, it feels very substantial. Hey, we got we got one piece of mail here that I wanted to share. It's kind of disturbing. It's not related to the emergency, but it's related to recent developments in, in ham radio. Just let me read it to you, um, dear Bill and Pete. I've been meaning to share with you something that has come to my attention by a rather circuitous route. As you guys know, I've been involved in the software IT side of ham radio for many years. I've watched many digital modes come and go. I've always enjoyed my work, but lately I've seen something that makes me a bit uneasy. Hmm. I'm sure you guys have heard of the fantastic DX that is being worked by many guys using FT8. It seems like all they need to work Jakarta is a couple of watts to a wet noodle, shazam, contact. But think about that. Well, I learned something that calls into question the legitimacy of many of these contacts. Mm. As I understand it, certain manufacturers in cahoots with a major American ham radio organization that happens to be very dependent on ad revenue from those same manufacturers have secretly set up a system that combines the internet and ham radio. And that sounds innocent enough because there's a lot of that kind of stuff, right? Oh, combine yeah. the internet and ham radio, echo link, all that kind of stuff. But our friend goes on. Here's how it works. 
Suppose Joe Ham gets on FT8 on 40 meters. He puts out a call using his QRP transmitter and the aforementioned wet noodle, trans wet noodle antenna. No way that signal is going to go to Jakarta, Indonesia, right? Well, it will with a bit of help. All right? Now the guy starts bragging that FT8, it's miraculous. You know, one watt to a wet noodle and I'm talking to, to so-and-so over there in Jakarta. Well, this is what our correspondent says as he goes on. The system has SDR transceivers and great antennas set up at strategic locations around the world. These are really good locations. Think mountaintops near the coastlines, always with high-speed Internet T5 connections. I think, he writes, this is part of a whole contest superstation for online lease business business model. We've seen this. You and I have talked about this. They have these big superstations, and then there's a web page saying, hey, CQ Worldwide is coming up. You know, for a few thousand bucks, you could lease this station and operate it remotely and possibly win. Wow. All right. All right. One of these stations, here's how it works with FT8. One of these stations picks up Joe Ham's FT8 call. Sometimes it will retransmit it. Retransmit it. Hmm. And sometimes it will send it to a counterpart station on the other side of the globe via the internet. Bingo. Joe, Joe Ham's signal is suddenly in Jakarta. The station there enthusiastically responds, and that signal goes back with the same kind of repeater or internet assist. This is all done well out of reach of the FCC. They're using overseas locations, some of them in Mexico. How, how do they handle the latency? How do they handle that problem? I don't know. I don't know. But it says here, of course, they have to be careful not to facilitate these kinds of contacts during times in which the bands are obviously dead. That's why 40 is so useful for this system. Obviously, they can't keep this kind of thing secret forever. But what they want to do is try to get guys hooked on FT8 and then reveal the system, selling it as nothing unusual, and you know, sort of akin to Echolink. Of course, this hasn't been made public for obvious reasons, but I can tell you the name of the system. They tried to make it sound like something familiar. In this case, they may tried to make it sound like APRS. Mm. They're calling it the Automatic Private Radio Interlink 1. Wow. Automatic Private Radio Interlink 1. Our, our friend writes... My understanding is that when they do their rollout, they will offer the new service to those willing to pay for a subscription. Oh my God! What's our yeah. hobby becoming? And that's what he that's what he closes with. He says, "Obviously, as an old school traditional ham, I am troubled by all this. What do you guys think? I wonder what your listeners would think. Please don't mention my name. Thanks." And seventy three. Uh, our correspondent sends us a web page that describes the system, and I'll put that up on the on the blog. You guys can can check it out. Please please let us know if you have any information on this, have, especially what Pete mentions the latency, because sometimes we notice this. There seems to be a lag or a delay. Let us know if you've seen anything like that in your operations on FT8, or if you've observed anything unusual or suspicious uh, uh, in the area of of the FT8, the new mode. We would appreciate hearing that. A few more pieces of mail, Pete. Jim, W-A-8-Z-H-N, says, reports that there are still 7,751 novices on the books. So you and I talked about this last time. I said there was no, no more novice license. They're not giving them out, but people who had them before oh. kept them, right? Yeah. 
So 7,751 novice licensees are on the books. They're out there. I feel a strange kinship with them. I'm an advanced class licensee, so you can't get an advanced class license, but I've kept mine just to be difficult. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, Buy some more crystals from Bry Carling. That's right. Buy crystals from Bry. (laughs) AF4K crystals. Yeah, there you go. Um, Great service. Uh, Mike WB2BLI is modifying his BIDX. He sent us a, an email describing all the mods that he's planned for the BIDX. And I said, this is perfect. This is exactly what Farhan had in mind. This is what he wanted. He wanted guys to tinker, to work on a rig that was so inexpensive that they wouldn't worry about damaging it. Uh, good good for you, Mike, and, and keep up the good work. I got an email from, a, from an old friend, an old listener, Fred uh, KC5RT. Fred, not long ago, sent me an attenuator, a programmable attenuator that I'm going to work into the Digitia if I could find room in the box. But here's my problem, Pete, getting back to the S38. I put the isolation transformer in there, right? It makes it safer. I no longer have to worry about electrocuting myself with this thing. Um, But I noticed that after a long session of listening to WRMI, the the isolation transformer was getting kind of hot. Now, just regular listening, it doesn't get hot. But if there's a lot of music pouring through the audio amplifier, it's pulling a lot of More current. More current draw, yeah. starting to get hot. A little too hot. You know, Doug Dumois had a great rule of, literally a rule of thumb. If you could put your thumb on it and it, and it was painful. We both put our thumb up. It was too hot. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I have a tattoo of the IRF yeah, 510 yeah. on my thumb. But um, this thing was uncomfortably hot. So I'm thinking, oh, damn, I'm going to have to go back and buy a bigger isolation transformer. This means more S38 work. Just when I thought I was getting done with this thing. This is like the gift that keeps on giving. You know, wow. But then I get a, I get a message from, uh, from Fred, and he says, here's an idea. Now, one of the reasons that they do the All-American 5, and the reason they chose the tubes that they chose, was that the combined voltage string. drop all, all around the string of filaments comes to about 115 volts. So you take these, the, all the filaments of all the tubes, you string them together in series, and then you put 115 volts across the string, and every, each tube is getting the right amount of voltage. Now, you have to also include a little, a little dial lamp because that helped affect the voltage too. That was important because that was in the filament of the, uh, of the, of the rectifier tube. Okay. But that, those filaments are obviously pulling a significant amount of current to generate all that heat and light and all that glow. And because they're in a loop, there's no, there's no real need for them to go through the isolation transformer. So what Fred suggested was, okay, the, the, the juice, the AC comes in and take the two lines from the AC line cord, put it on the primary of the isolation transformer. And that goes and drives all the circuitry except for the filaments. Make sure that the filament, the, the, the current going to power the filaments does not go through the isolation transformer. Just take the same AC line cord and run it through the loop, right, of the filaments. At no point is the AC line cord touching the chassis. The only things it's touching are the primary of the isolation transformer. And then parallel to that, on the AC line cord side, you have a loop going around powering up all of the filaments. 
So this will reduce the current flowing through the isolation transformer and keep things nice and cool. I thought that was a pretty cool solution. Yeah, the only thing you need to check um, on your schematic is to see if they took any bypass capacitors from the filament to ground. Because then you'd have AC coupling. I mean, just lift them, lift them off there. Since you're isolating the loop, sometimes, right. sometimes they would put. Yeah, you're right. There is, there is one that it goes to the to what they call B minus, and that you would have to take that one off too. But I think he's just talking about just putting it completely yeah, across. Yeah, that, that'll work. It just sometimes there and may then just something else maybe take the maybe maybe take the capacitor and put the capacitor across the AC line instead of the capacitor yeah. from the filaments to ground. It's a good point. But I'll I'll get to this once I get another bout of. Uh, S38E fever. You know, our friend uh, Steve N8NM is an S38 fan also, but he's an original. He likes the S38 without any letters after it. Yeah. Well, does that mean you're going to buy another S38E? Two is enough. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's bad. I think I get done with the thing. Then I'm, I, I fool around and I'm tuning it. And there's a little kink in the dial turning. When I turn the dial, it kinks. You can hear it. I'm turning it now. You can hear it. Like, listen. Hear that? Yeah. Yeah. Bothers Ca me. Catching on something. Well, it, what it is is that the string is moving up along the spindle, and then it gets up high up on the spindle, and then it pops back down. It's starting to bug me. Is your this spindle out around? No. The spindle. I'm going to have to go in and tighten the thing up. A little bit and then well it's a long sad this is a tale of woe i find myself looking at the hammerland hq 100 and thinking there are no strings in that thing they built this radio with no strings no strings attached much better gearbox Gear, gearbox something more <laughs> substantial these little strings and everything else it's 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 kind of rube goldberg it's what was it? Um, Jack? No, Robinson. What, what was? God, I'm, I'm forgetting my British phrases. The Brits are going to come back and tell me. Um, but how would you do that? Because that that dock cord also has a string, uh, has a pointer on it. Doesn't it move across the screen? And it, yeah, and it moves just perfectly. You can see it moving perfectly, but it's 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 kinking a little bit, right? So you need to go back and you have to get it just right, and then you have to pray. What kind of a, you what kind of a spring constant do you have in there? Is your spring sprung? No, the spring is fine. The spring is fine. But then, if if the spring has lost a little bit of tension over the years, you need to tighten it up a little bit. And I've come up with a technique where you just take the spring off and you twist it around a few times. It adds a little bit of additional tension. Also, this the spring on this the string on this one is the original string because it'll break and, and in time it, it'll, it'll break in time yeah it, it hasn't broken since 1961 but you'll, you'll but fix one it. of these days it's going to go and I'll, I'll fix it then but it, in the meantime it, it, i thought i could live with it but then this little sound it's, it's bothering oh, me oh man that'll anyway, bug you this is this is this is this, these are the signs of uh, some real ham radio craziness I, that are going to be intensified by the current emergency I, I have a story to tell you bill and uh, we're we're probably getting near the end. May, this might be a just something. keep talking. This sounds like a good one. Pete. Okay, and people need need list need things to listen to. Okay, so, tell us so the story. when I was in Mesa, Arizona, uh, I traveled about four miles to work. I went out my into my street, drove four miles right into the plant, and uh, all day long the car would sit out there and it just kind of bake. And I had an Oldsmobile Cutlass. I said, man, this is taking a big toll on this. So I bought a Volkswagen Beetle, and that's what I used. And I put gas in there 
once every two weeks. It was perfect. It just sat at the plant all day long. So my uh, oldest son, who's now over 50, was in high school at the time. And he said, you know, that cutlass is just sitting there. Can I, can I take it to school? Can I drive it to school? He says, because I don't want to ride the school bus. So I said, okay, yeah, you can do that. So I noticed that the car was always parked at a funny angle on the driveway. And I said, why does he park it that way? And I went around to look, and a piece of the chrome trim was hanging off the car. You know how they used to have chrome trim on the doors? It was yeah. hanging on the ground. And he was parked it that way so I wouldn't see it. So I went and confronted him, and I said, "What? Well, what's that all about? He said, yeah, come off, and I didn't want to tell you, and you'd get mad and everything else. I said, well, when that thing goes down the street, doesn't it make noise? He said, if you drive fast enough, you won't hear it. <laughs> this is a solution. Yeah, yeah. so if you do it fast enough, you won't now, hear it. Is this the guy who became the musician, or is this the guy who became the CNC guy? Oh, he's he's the software architect. <laughs> go, well, he's a software. He's software. It's not a hardware thing. It's not that thing. He said, if you drive fast enough, you won't hear it. <laughs> so, Bill, there you go, Bill. So maybe I just tune just fast tune enough, faster. You won't hear it. <laughs> You know, I, I got an S thirty eight story to end with here too, Pete. Uh, I, your 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 recommendation there is a, is a good one, I think. But when I posted my stuff about the S thirty eight E, we got some comments on the blog from a reader and listener named Jerry Paulson. I'm not, I didn't get the call sign, but Jerry wrote that that he likes the S thirty eight C better than the S thirty eight E because the S thirty eight C has beautiful curves. Ooh. Now, now um, Steve, N8NM, wrote that one of the famous designers from the 1950s, a guy named Lowe, L-O-E-W-E, who designed some, he designed locomotives. I think he designed the Edsel. Yeah. Right? And Styling. He designed, He's a style designer. Style designer, like curves, mm -hmm. so it's sort of, you know, on, the, on the case and everything else. Well, apparently they got rid of him by the time the S38E came around because this has more of a George Jetson kind of futuristic look, what they thought the future would look like in, you know, 1959 or so. Um, but I, I shot back and I said, look, Jerry, I don't care about the curves. The S38E has a picture window, a big picture window up front, and it's got the markings for all kinds of exotic foreign locations on it some of that them don't exist today <laughs> some of them no longer exist <laughs> thank god the union of the soviet socialist republic yugoslavia it's still on my dial <laughs> but it's, yugoslavia. it's not there anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah there's a lot of them gone right um but it's got cool places and i told him i said for me the coolest place on the s3080 dial is java there you go java oh java and so Jerry saw this, and he wrote, he said, well, I think this might have something to do with your affinity for coffee. You, you know, people call yeah, it Java. Java. A yeah, cup of Java. That's where a cup it came from. Or something like that. And I said, no, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's two things. First, I remember always hearing as a kid about Krakatoa. East of Java. 
Krakatoa, east of Java, yeah. right? The big volcanic explosion. Eight, was it eighteen twelve or something like that? No, August twenty seventh, eighteen eighty three. Eighty three. Okay. The day the world exploded, Krakatoa, and I got to hear the the book by Simon Winchester about it. I said that was one thing that probably caused me to sort of, sort of have an affinity for Java. The other thing was a movie, a movie that I really liked. It came out many years ago. It's still kicking around. Every once in a while, I threaten my kids to make them watch it with me. But it's um, Year of Living Dangerously with Mel Gibson. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it takes place in Indonesia. Yeah. And uh, and uh, so... Was that Linda Hunt was in that movie too? No, I think it was Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver, right? yeah. I think that was it. She was the girlfriend. Yeah. 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 Good movie. Kind of captures the whole embassy kind of environment i guess that's why i liked it but no no well, coffee is part of it too i associate coffee with java but i think it's more uh, krakatoa and the year of living dangerously but thanks for pointing that out jerry pete i think it's time for us to wrap this up you have anything else no i'm i'm good but everybody be safe uh practice the safe distancing by the way, mm-hmm. I've noticed that there's uh, some significant changes taking place. I just got to note that Costco is reducing their hours. Yeah, a lot, a lot of places are because nobody's coming in. Yeah. It's getting harder to staff. Although um, I went to Costco and uh, they they meter you in and it was an hour and a half wait because they, they'd only let 20 people in at a time and they wait till 30 people came out. No oh, man, I I I just I don't I won't do waiting online kind of thing uh, at all. No, that's more dangerous. <laughs> it is, it is. So I mean, just 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 pick your pick your battles and ask if it's if it's worth it to to wait online to get you know whatever it is that you think is inside the store. I had a, an older friend of mine say that he was going to go to a, a, a local shop that I knew was really crowded, and I said, "Well, what do you got to pick up?" He said, "Well, I need some spice, I need some cumin, I need this. I, you don't need any of that stuff. Order it, get it online." <laughs> Or don't eat it for yeah. you know a couple of weeks. Well, there's, so, there yeah, are I, some I, practical things. My hair's getting long, so where do I get a haircut? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> where, yeah, yeah. Where do you get a haircut? I've stopped shaving. Yeah, well, that's okay. I mean, it's just, but the hair gets so long that <laughs> you still well, look like a rock it's musician. Cool. It's gonna it gives us something to do and something else to monitor every day. That's good. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey, by the way, I got some interesting feedback. You know, you you at the beginning of this, you you played a little song that I played. Yep. Uh, I got a feedback from a ham that said, "You're actually your recording is pretty good." He said, "But I could really teach you to play the guitar." <laughs> he said, "I'll record to do during the shutdown." He said, "I'll record." Does and he I, have no, Zoom? Well, no, but I'm just saying that was very nice of him. I, I'm appreciative of it, but I'm just saying, well. I'm glad to hear my corny. He's a professional musician. He said, your, your, your corny yeah, is this pretty could good. Op- this could open an entirely new career for you. you know, we could be seeing you. In a couple of years, we're going to see you on 60 Minutes. And it's going to be like, well, I was on this podcast, you know, and this guy spotted me. And the next thing you know, yeah, I'm recording he, for the movies. He plays in Vegas. Pete, follow up on this. <laughs> I mean, there you go. Opportunity knocks. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> anyway, All right, guys. seven threes from the left coast. Seven threes from Northern Virginia. Stay safe. You, Be careful. You, Stay inside. Stay bet. in the shack. You bet. Sit. Ciao. Ciao. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. 
our blog, the Sutter Smoke Daily News, is at suttersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to suttersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Sutter Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Sutter Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from Lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at CafePress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!